0: Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray.
1: Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you so much for joining us here on The Housing Hour. I want to tell you guys how to plug in with us. Number one, you can go to the mothership of all of our information, thehousinghour.com. There's a treasure trove of information we'd love for you to dive into, and you can share this show with friends and family. You can also go and uh, explore our website for all the shows that we've done in the past. We'd love for you to do that. Um, as well as we're on social media, of course. We have uh, thehousinghour.com is on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash thehousinghour, as well as Twitter at thehousinghour, and Mark is also our uh, Pinterest pinner as well. So you can catch him.
2: And pinning summer recipes.
1: Yes, he's pinning some summer recipes, some different pictures, and catalogs those right on his Pinterest page. So I doubt very seriously that our guest today has a Pinterest page, but nonetheless... (laughs) We do have Richard Swan in studio with us, and he's actually not only a senior loan officer at Mortgage Investors Group, he's also in the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary here in our area. And first, we want to thank Richard for coming on with us. Thank you, Richard.
3: Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. I always enjoy coming on and talking about safe boating, Mm -hmm. because if you do safe boating, then it's a good weekend for
1: everybody. Oh, that's such a good point. And this is the time of year. And we, you've been on before. I have not had the good pleasure of being here because of vacations and so forth. But this year, well, there's no vacations in in our plan. So we are here, and uh, I'm so glad to be able to be here because I, I was just thinking I was on the lake this weekend, and you see all of the potential dangers. You know, you may not be able to assess those like someone of your expertise, but you always are aware, and it's like wow those people shouldn't be doing that or man you really need to be aware of what this situation is over here there's just so many things that you could um find on a lake that could be dangerous before we get into the real meat and potatoes of what we're talking about i want to ask you because i like to get to know our guests a little bit and why they do these things what made you decide to get into this uh coast guard auxiliary piece I've always loved
3: boating. I've been on the waters around East Tennessee virtually my entire life. In 1986, I bought a pleasure craft,
1: mm-hmm. and that sounds like fun.
3: Wanted to find out more about what I was actually doing. Find out more about the waterways and what I was responsible for having on my boat because I really had not had any formal training, even though I'd been on the water and operated boats for years. Once I had my own boat and it was my liability, my responsibility, then I wanted to acquaint myself with what the rules were, what the requirements were, and what was basically a best practice, to Mm -hmm. speak in kind of a
1: business standpoint. What is the best practice on the waterway? Well, most people just decide what's the best practice and then make those notes. Not everybody joins the Coast Guard Auxiliary, right? Well... I enjoy, I've always enjoyed teaching. Mm-hmm. And
3: so that gave me an opportunity to teach safe boating to people, um, to do safety vessel inspections with people. I've always been good with meeting people, talking with people. So we would go to boat ramps and do safety inspections and talk with people about what they had on board. Did they have everything they need on board? Now the Coast Guard auxiliary itself has no law enforcement capability Mm -hmm. but if we have regular coast guard that come into town and decide to go out on our boats then they have enforcement power but they rarely when they come in to do things with us it's usually pr type missions Mm -hmm. like the old boomsday and um rocking the docks down in lenore city they're usually here for support and pr type missions Mm -hmm. they're really not here to bust everybody for not having everything they're supposed to have on their boat
1: right which there's a list of things that you need to have we'll there talk is about a that. long list yeah and we'll talk more about all of that because that's so vitally important and not all areas richard have the pleasure and i guess it's really a, a, a big benefit of living in this area because we are blessed with a large amount of water in our area i mean you've got numerous lakes that you can go and uh, spend time with and it's not just like yes you're on a boat there's the safety is important but then you also talk about safety just around docks and around houseboats and around the waterways and you have to be conscious of all of the safety requirements so one of the other things i mean you've lived here for a long time so you've seen all of the news that have before you were even involved in this you saw i mean drownings are very prevalent in this area, and you have to know that going into it, right? Right,
3: absolutely. And you have a lot of different types of drownings. You have people that drown up in the streams in the mountains because they're wearing waders and they step in a hole that's deeper than their waders, and Mm. that weighs them down and they can't get loose and and things of that nature. That's terrifying. You get people... That are fishing right below a dam. They're fishing Mm -hmm. in turbulent waters. All of a sudden, they start generating, and the waters become even more turbulent. So you have a lot of different areas to know about the lake you're in, to know about the conditions of the lake you're in. And that's something that we talk about in our safety classes, about knowing the waters you're boating on. It's far different than boating in coastal waters. Um, And in coastal waters, weather is a much more significant factor To a boater, because if you're out five miles and a storm comes on, you can't run anywhere. You're the tallest point on that part of the ocean, and you're going to be in more danger than you're going to be on the lakes around here, Mm. where you've got cliffs on one side, or you can kind of get into a more sheltered area, possibly
1: even under a bridge or something like that. That's a good point. So let's start out talking about, because this is the big. The why, the why is it, why is it so important? Um, There's many reasons you've listed four of them for us. Um, But if you could give us sort of an overview of why, why is it important? Because it's obvious that it's important, but some people think, well, I mean, I'm not going to think that through. I'm just going to just rely on my instincts and I'll be fine. But why is it important? For 90% of us, we're out on the water to
3: have fun. Mm -hmm. It's important to get back to the dock safely, and to not have an incident while you're out there. And so all of the things... Let me interrupt you
1: there. The other 10% that aren't out there to have fun, is that like Dexter or something?
3: You have the Star of Knoxville. You have the commercial barges. Gotcha. Okay, you're talking about the commercial folks. They are working, and they are doing a job. So Mm -hmm. they're not out there just having a good time.
1: Gotcha. Um, Okay. That makes sense.
3: Ninety percent of us want to have a fun weekend, Mm -hmm. but we want to go home at the end of the day. And trust me, if you have an incident, there's going to be a lot of paperwork. There's going to be stuff you've got to do. Mm -hmm. And unlike motor laws where an officer is going to come and pretty much assess, well, this blame is totally yours. Boating almost never gives 100 percent of the blame to one individual. Everybody is responsible, even if another boat hits you that was operating recklessly. Guess what? Your obligation was to maintain a proper lookout and identify that problem before it got to your boat. Mm. So that's part of where maritime law differs
1: in regular traffic law in that there is no no-fault situation. Well, that's, I mean, that obviously that's scary um, because if you have somebody that's reckless then you have to know that, hey, I'm going to bear some responsibility if this individual gets out of control and then also comes into my line of sight.
2: But there's another issue uh, because we have a lot of boats and we have a lot of boaters out there on the lake, but we have more visitors to the lake being invited by those boaters. Uh I mean, and some of them, like I remember most of the time that I went to the lake invited by a boat, I never knew anything about boating or boat safety or what my role was. So how does how do the people that don't have a boat who go to the lake and participate in boating what do they do
3: They listen to the captain because the captain is in charge of his vessel He okay. is responsible he is ultimately the person that bears the responsibility for everyone on board his so boat. they
2: should be doing a training class and before you they get on the, his boat yes her they boat.
3: need they need to acquaint you with where the safety gear is located they need to acquaint you with see the,
1: I would love to do that because I would start it out and it would just be a fun thing I would say ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Ray vessel I am your captain for today's mission but, and I want to point you to the safety procedures i have laminated it and put it in the glove box
2: i mean i would have a field but you, day but with you that. have access to a boat right i do and now do you drive it yourself
1: uh yes i do and i did go through the safety instructions um but let's not talk about me let's talk about um <laughs> yeah let's <laughs> talk about the... those charges were never proven. <laughs> that's right but the 15 percent really sort of startles me because if they've been drinking and they run into you like you mentioned and it really, from every other angle, you would say, "Oh, that you know, if it was a car, I'd be like, well, that person is responsible." This is different. I mean, the maritime laws are different, right? Could you have avoided right. the accident
2: mm-hmm.
3: had you reacted quicker? Had you been maintaining a better lookout? Mm-hmm. Then could you have avoided that accident more quickly and eliminated that situation? Yeah. Well, so this is good. That's what. Maritime law is going to look at it in that fashion, and we probably should on driving laws as well.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, how would
3: that change? You know, you're always responsible if you hit somebody from the rear, right? But if they slam on their brakes, well, you should have been back further, and that's kind of what they look at. You should have been doing something to eliminate.
1: The good thing is that there are some suggested policies and rules to follow, which help you and help you prevent. So, we're coming to the end of the first segment. Amazingly, this is going by already very quickly. It makes me want to be out in the boat. So, we're going to continue this conversation with Richard Swan right after these messages.
0: The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray.
1: Welcome back in to the Housing Hour. Kevin Ray here, Mark Griffith, executive producer and co-host. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group, MIGonline.com. You can go to that website and find an office or a loan officer nearest you. Um, you can also call our home office at 1-800-489-8910. We'll get you plugged in with someone close to you. Um, we are talking with Richard Swan today about boat safety. And Richard is a senior loan officer at Mortgage Investors Group. Been around for a long time with MIG. How long have you been with MIG now? Close to 20 years. Unbelievable. That's incredible. And that's sort of the norm for our loan officers. They stay around for a long time, so that's awesome. Um, But you also have this other passion, which is uh, boating safety. And you mentioned earlier in the first segment that you had purchased a pleasure craft, which I love the way that sounds, pleasure craft. It's (laughs) really cool. Um, But you sort of, just like you do with everything, I mean, I think you have that personality where if you're going to get involved with something, you're going to go all out. So you decided to start. You know, training and teaching, and you like teaching um and that's sort of how you arrived with the passion that you have um and It's really good information I tell you once about May fifteenth hits maybe earlier, this becomes like a top issue in our area, and you think about all of the people that are on the boat on on the waterways, um whether it be you know, Fort Loudon or whether it be uh, Watts Bar or Norris or Douglas. I mean, there is, and that's just a few of them. I yeah. mean, there's many others.
3: We have seven large lakes. There you go. Around Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Um, all but two of those, three of those, I guess, are navigable, which mm-hmm. means you can go from Knoxville to the Gulf
1: of Mexico. That's incredible. That, I'm jumping on my boat this afternoon. I'm going to Destin.
2: I've taken a trip really and, and locked down for a while, so yeah.
1: That's cool. That's really neat. A lot of fun. Yeah, I remember my mom was going to buy a houseboat, and this was when I first became aware of the whatever you just said navigability (laughs) of of the waterways because she was going to buy it in Chattanooga and and bring it back and bring it back. Yeah, and you just have there's a certain way to do it. I think that's really neat. So. Um we mentioned about why is boating uh imp- safety important, and why don't we segue into you know some ways that uh we can be safer on the waterway what, because everybody wants to know you know well, I hear what you're saying, what the dangers are, what can I do to prevent some of this
3: we We talked about um knowing your vessel and knowing the rivers that you boat on, including mm-hmm. the laws and 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 having maps and charts of those rivers. Norris doesn't have any markers hardly at all they have i think seven um but they're on land they have no channel markers it's just basically wide open Mm. and it's almost 70 miles of channel Mm. so that's a lot of of different channels that doesn't include (laughs) the little coves and everything off of that so you have to know the waters that you're boating in you have to know where you are and how to get around the other thing um, that we talked about is safety procedures and protocol on board making sure everybody knows where their life jackets are, it's not enough just to have a life jacket for everybody. The life jacket has to fit the person. So if you're an extremely large guy, you know, 300 plus, and you go out and buy seven extra large life jackets because, you know, well, that's what you need, so you want to be able Super to just personal. grab a life jacket. Yeah, <laughs> then that doesn't fit a 13-year-old that you may have right. on board. And if the life jacket doesn't fit, guess what? You're in violation. It doesn't exist mm-hmm. in the eyes of law enforcement. If it if doesn't fit jacket, then they won't doesn't acquit. It does fit exactly. and it is appropriate
1: for the wearer. Richard then it that was funny. Exist. Come on, let's get let's get let's get he's serious. He's all business. Yeah, he's all business. So, no, but that's a good point. I mean, you if you want to prevent yourself from getting fines and you want to do what's right and you want to save the kids, then you need to listen. Go
3: ahead. And and just be safe out there. Yeah. Think about what you're doing. Common
1: sense is um, a big part for of it. kids
3: that are under you the age of 2 there's usually a special life jacket uh, that mm-hmm. that one has a a large flap on the back to help keep their head way up out of water. Mm-hmm. It has a strap that goes under in between their legs so that that if you're grabbing them by the jacket to pull them up out of the water, you don't just they don't slide out mm-hmm. and you've lost them. And it usually has a grab handle on the top of it to where you can scoop and grab it quickly if you need to. Mm-hmm. So. You know, make sure you have life jackets that fit. Check them for their wear, that they're not ripped, that they aren't uh, in bad condition, that the flotation. All of us remember the old Fannie Mae style vest that had the kapok in them, and that kapok eventually goes bad and just becomes lumpy inside there, Mm -hmm. and then it's no good. Did you
1: say Fannie Mae?
3: He did. I he hope did. I did. I really. Yeah, yeah. he okay. said. We anyway. always. Re- well, we remember the old May West. I'm sorry. Yeah. I so, think I did that the last time I was here. See, uh, I'm am splitting okay. my worlds. So we all remember the old May West type right. life jackets. Yeah. And those had k in them. And those um, go bad over time. They go bad from sun exposure. They mm. go bad from being in and out of the water because everybody uses them as toys when they're out on the water, well, you use them as a toy and then they eventually go bad as a life-preserving device.
1: Mm. Now, the the old-school... Um Life preservers, the orange ones that just simply go over your head, right? Yeah. I mean, are those That's sufficient? The May, West the May West, are those sufficient? If they because we have some of those on the boats that I'm I have access to, and we just we don't use them for pleasure, like they're not right. they're not pleasure using safety vests. They are for emergencies only. Those
3: are probably most efficient. Okay, we've gone in this area, and if you can. If you're never more than a mile offshore, then you can use an inshore vest, which is a type 3, which is like a ski vest. Mm. Um, think of it that way. It has flotation all the way around. The old May West style is the horse collar type vest, and it is designed to give you the most flotation in the front so that if you're on your stomach, it's going to turn you up and put you in a more upright position Mm -hmm. and keep your face up and out of the water. So those are really probably a better. And then there's also an offshore version of that, which is, again, the horse collar style vest that's going to be a lot more buoyant for
2: offshore waters. Let me Mm -hmm. ask you, are you supposed to um, take those life vests and set them out on deck before you leave? Yes. One of the conditions of having
3: the life jacket on board is that it is readily available readily available is not stored in a closet down below readily available has to What about in a bench seat, a bench seat would probably be legal as long as it's not still in its original packaging and you Mm -hmm. have to rip open the plastic packaging that it came in to get to it. If you have to do anything to make it usable, then that's not going to meet the criteria. Gotcha.
1: So part of being safe is also knowing what, equipment and what safety things that you need to have on board obviously safety equipment is important and you know you can also get a fine i mean are are the are the auxiliary able to fine or no the
3: auxiliary is not a law enforcement entity but there are people patrolling that you have twra which tennessee wildlife resource agency you have uh sheriff's departments from blunt county knox county Other counties, you have uh, police departments that have the capability to be out on the water and be enforcement. Mm -hmm. Um, TWRA is probably the most statewide agency for being out on the water and out on different lakes Mm -hmm. and more rural lakes. Um, A lot of the sheriff's departments probably have more rescue boats than they really have enforcement type boats um, that are going to be out on the water. But a lot of the counties are going to more and more enforcement
1: boats out on the water. Mm, I think it makes sense. I mean, unfortunately, we have a situation where you have education and you have training and you have awareness campaigns, which are all very, very important. And I hear them and I hear you. Um, But also there has to be the enforcement mechanism here because there are situations where people are going out on the waterways and even with the knowledge that they have about, you know, not getting intoxicated while driving a boat, you know, not, you know, being in command. If you're if you're supposed to be in command, which is one of the tenants of your suggested safety procedures, then if you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs, that chances of you becoming in command or being in command are probably low. Right. But do they have the same, um, you know, blood alcohol level requirements? And is all that the same? Yes. How do you do. do a field sobriety test on water, though? You have to show them you can slalom.
3: Well, they're 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 gonna they're gonna talk to you, and um, yeah. if you listen to the comedian Ron White, I love him. I had the. I didn't know his name or, was gonna come up. He in says TV. I had the ability to remain silent, but I or I had the right to remain silent, but yeah. I no longer had the ability. Right. So right. most times they're gonna know from talking to you that you shouldn't be driving a boat. Right.
1: And, and you can't and, fix stupid is yeah. another and that, another that, thing that's all
3: said. it's gonna take. Yeah. And another thing that we talked about Mark talked about being invited out on boats to 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 go along with people. That's another thing the the captain of his vessel knows his vessel pretty well. He knows how to drive his vessel, but we have something called suddenly in command. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that own houseboats are older. You know, they you don't have a lot of like 20-year-olds that own houseboats. They own the ski boats, the the wake boats, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Your houseboat drivers have a houseboat. Well, Ninety percent of the people that you meet in a room could go out and drive somebody's car and be fine. Mm -hmm. Ninety percent of the people you meet in a room could not dock a houseboat. No. Mm -mm. If they were just automatically just it was
1: turned over to them. You got one shot to do this right. They couldn't do it no that's a good point we're coming to the end of the second segment i want to pick back up there and we're going to talk about some other safety things and and considerations for sure um but you're absolutely right i mean we we have to understand what vessel we're in because you never know when you might be thrown into that situation so you have to be conscious of that um and we'll talk about much much more with richard swan senior loan officer also a member of the u.s coast guard auxiliary here in this area we'll be right back after these messages
0: The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray.
1: Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Um, thank you for joining us here on the Housing Hour. Definitely want to remind you where to go to check out all of our information. You can go to thehousinghour.com. That is the Treasure Trove Mothership of Information. You can share our show with friends, family alike. Uh, you can also read all of our blogs that we've had. We're going to have some information about Richard and how you can link to to him and also some of the information that we've provided you today. We're going to have that also right there on our site. Um, as well as um, you can also go to Facebook facebook.com slash the housing hour uh, and learn more about us and also our host and co-host and uh, Mark is taking he, he is now available for birthdays uh, I understand.
2: Well you taught me the balloon
1: train. Yeah so, so we can we can, we can book him as well um, and um, just so you know you can go to the show sponsor which is Mortgage Investors Group. It's migonline.com. So back to uh, our discussion with richard richard um first of all again thank you for coming in i think this is so important to our area and what people are doing so thank you for providing this to um our community my pleasure number one always enjoyed talking about boating yeah and especially safe boating absolutely especially safe
0: boating and, for and sure. let me interject yeah interject sir i
3: don't want to sound like i don't want people to have fun out on the water mm-hmm. that's what we're all about we're about promoting safe boating but we're about promoting having fun on the water mm-hmm. and if you're safe out there it's going to be a better day all around
1: uh, and you mentioned that you wanted you you know you talk about suddenly in command and you wanted to teach your wife how to use the boat so that you could number one ski but yes. also ski
3: it- skiing was my priority it was not about her getting back to shore if i had a heart attack right it was i wanted to ski yeah and, and but think about if something happens to your main person that's on board, it's their boat, they're the captain, mm-hmm. is there anybody else on boat on the boat that could navigate that boat? Because, trust me, in this area, you're not going to get a lot of help out on the water except from other boaters. Now, you could probably flag down another boater that had the knowledge and could get your boat vessel back to shore to somewhere where they would know, but... Uh, As we were talking during the break, a lot of people don't know much more than the area they're operating in. Mm -hmm. They don't know where the closest marina is. They know the marina they came from, which may Mm -hmm. be 20 miles away. They don't know that there's one a half mile upstream. Mm -hmm. So know the areas you're boating in, but also know where to go in an emergency. Start by calling 911. You're not going to know which 911 office you're going to get in Knoxville. Uh, You could get Blunt County from being on the lake. You could get Knox County. Uh, It's possible you're going to get Loudoun County. So you've got to know how to tell them where you are. Mm -hmm. And somebody else on the boat needs to know how to tell them where you are.
1: Yeah, and the nice thing about... This whole thing is that you do have GPS, for instance, if you're in a situation where you need to be located but that is not a foolproof system because sometimes the data cell coverage is not great on lakes unfortunately. So you don't always have that to rely on if you're trying to tell somebody where you are. You're going to be able to say, well, I, I can see, you know, a house over here. I mean, it's just, it's, there's not a lot of markers like you mentioned on Norris for instance. There's only seven and there's 70 miles of channel. So it's, it, you just don't know where you, you are at all times so you need to know where you are number one but to your point we had i think it was last year if i'm not mistaken one of our loan officers had a realtor that they worked with for years and he had his grandson out um, fishing and it was just him and his grandson his grandson i think was like 10 i mean maybe 11 i can't remember his age exactly but uh, the realtor unfortunately was struck with a heart attack and died instantly right there on the boat thankfully he didn't go overboard but that can happen, as unfortunate as that is. Um, we hope that this young man knew. He did get him back to shore somehow, but we don't know what the safety instructions he was given. But that is a reason that you should let the person that's with you know how to operate the boat. Absolutely.
3: And you can teach as long as you are are over the age of 18 and you're a responsible party. You can teach someone else under the age to drive your boat, mm-hmm. and as long as you are immediately available—that's mm-hmm. a term, immediately available to take command—then mm-hmm. a two-year-old or five-year-old can drive your boat. Mm-hmm.
1: Two-year-old Richard? and well,
3: <laughs> what I mean, I have the IQ. Of the I, I, I let Buddy drive sitting on my lap once years ago, but I was right, right there with him. Yeah. Um, and it's important to teach them some of the fundamentals of. You know, how to start a boat is not the same as starting a car, because you need to Mm -hmm. run a blower to eliminate fumes from inside the engine compartment before you start the engine. Mm -hmm. And those are things that kids can learn, but you need to teach them. And if you're teaching your kids this all while they're growing up, Mm -hmm. then then they will grow up to be responsible boaters as well. Kids that were born after January 1st, 1989, in the state of Tennessee, have to have proof that they have gone through a safety um,
1: class mm-hmm. before they can boat. That if they were born on January 1st, 1989, they're okay. Is that uh, what you told me? Yes, they're mm-hmm.
3: they're exempt from that. But right. if they were born before that, then they've got to, after that, then they've got to have uh, proof
2: of a boating education class if they are operating the vessel by themselves. Mm-hmm. But there's um, also another good point, uh, you know, in that scenario And it might not have helped in that particular instance, but to have a plan Uh and let people know what you're doing that day and when you're going out on the water. Uh Absolutely. All of us have been out on the water and have had
3: an engine failure of some kind. I've had several. Mine, Uh I've got a great boat. It's never given me much problem, but it chews up alternator belts. Hmm. So I always keep spare alternator belts on the boat, and I can usually replace them while I'm out on the water. The main thing is, if you know you've got a condition with your boat, keep spare parts. You can usually find somebody on the water that can do the work for you, even if you don't know what needs to be done. You can find somebody that'll stop and take, you know, 45 minutes to replace a belt from you, but you've got to have tools and you've got to have the, the parts. Mm-hmm. So try to keep extra spare parts on your, bo- your boat, spare fuses, spare light bulbs if you're boating at night, that type of thing. And those are all things that are that are not necessarily required by law to have spare parts. Mm -hmm. Um, your lights have to work and if they don't then you know you could be cited for that but Mm -hmm. it doesn't require you to carry spare lights on on board but it's a good safety habit go ahead
2: i was just going to say it's a lot different than driving a car and breaking down Mm -hmm. when you're on the water people will stop and help you i mean you just send out the signal and they come to you so and it's like a It's just like a fraternity or something, or a brotherhood. Or a sorority. And they're generally very friendly out on the water. People wave to you. Much different. They'll talk to you. I don't know Um, why that is, because they're the same guys that are be driving home. And And they're telling you you're number one. And (laughs) and I've I've, I've towed in several people.
3: Um, I was out on Telico Lake one day, and there were uh, three guys in a a tri-hole. It was a father and two of his sons in an old tri-hole boat. And I went by them, and then I turned back around and came back and asked if they needed any help. The father, who was probably, and he may have been a grandfather because he was probably in his 60s, he was like, well, how did you know we were having trouble? I was like, well, you had the cover of your engine off. (laughs) and your kids were on either side of the boat using skis to paddle so i assume
1: this was not just a training exercise that there was something going on right there may have been some other things involved if he didn't realize it It was obvious and
3: and i i tied them up to my boat and towed them back to the boat ramp he said well if you'll just tow me over there to shore well the boat ramp was about two miles away I wasn't doing anything that was mm-hmm. particularly important, so I towed him back two miles to the boat ramp. Mm-hmm. He could put his trailer in the water. He could push his boat up onto the trailer, and that saved his day. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, mm-hmm. if I had just put him on shore, he'd have had to figure out how to walk two right. miles from there to the boat ramp, and that's a lot easier on the water than it is
1: on the shore. Yeah, and he ultimately probably would have had to have someone tow him at some point,
3: yeah, because he know? couldn't have gotten his his truck and his trailer right. to that
1: part of the lake. Yeah, so you really helped him a lot. Um, but I just think that the message here is that even if you think it's not needed, like the safety plan, or not just the safety plan, but the float plan. You know, the float plan being knowing and telling someone where you're going to be, when you'll be back, where you are leaving from, and what your route is. And, and you know, and let's if it's going to be an extended trip,
3: technology. Yeah, and. You know, previously, well, what am I going to do? Leaving out of my house, nobody's going to come to my house for for a week. So, what do I do? Well, mm-hmm. today's technology, you can text somebody in Florida. Mm-hmm. Text them where you're leaving from, where you plan
1: to be. When did they make that available? Texting to Florida? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs>
3: when you plan to be back, yeah. and they can they can then follow up with you if you don't call them later that night. They can follow up mm-hmm. and say, hey. Are you okay?
1: Yeah. It shows here that you should be on mile marker nine in the channel or whatever. That's
3: right. And at least it gives people
1: a starting point to know where to start to look for you. And you know, the other thing too, let's say your boat, I mean, this is not probably going to happen in our area, but if you lose power in the boat, your cell phone coverage is gone. Maybe also your battery is dying or dead and you're out in some remote area of the lake And there's no one that can see you and know where you are, and then a storm comes in. I mean you can have a recipe for disaster is what I'm telling you. So these things are very serious. Now we have one segment left with Richard Swan of MIG and the Coast Guard Auxiliary. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray.
1: Welcome back into The Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm here with Mark Griffith, executive producer, co-host, Richard Swan, senior loan officer, member of the Coast Guard Auxiliary as well. And thank you for joining us today. We're going to have our show up on thehousinghour.com. You can check us out there. You can also go to iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. We'd love for you to do that. You can find all of that and more at thehousinghour.com. So we've been talking about a lot of information today about boating safety, and we've covered a lot of ground since uh, we started. And we are going to, in our last segment here, talk about a couple of other um, important safety uh, considerations. Um, but just so you guys know, we didn't touch on this, but I think you may have mentioned a couple of them. Some of the boating statistics that Richard has provided us, um, just to give you an idea, 80% of boating deaths are due to the drowning. 83% of victims were not wearing a life jacket. Two-thirds of drowning victims are good swimmers. Seventy-seven percent of deaths occurred on boats where the operator had no boating safety instruction. Fifteen percent of deaths where the primary cause was known. Alcohol was the leading factor. That's actually shocking that it's only 15 percent. Right.
3: Well... And and that's where they knew the primary cause, so uh, there, there could be other factors, there could be, they're compiling a lot, that's national data, so they're compiling mm-hmm. lots of national data, I think that was actually from 2016, mm-hmm. um, it's hard for me earlier in the year to find last year's yeah. numbers, because um, they kind of wait and compile those, but... The main thing is that once you're knocked off a boat, so let's say even if you're jet skiing and a boat comes around a corner, which we have a lot of those in East Tennessee, you come around a point and there's another boat, you don't see it quick enough, and you you bump it. You Uh hit it enough to knock somebody in the water. There's a gag reflex or a gasp reflex that once you go into the water, your immediate reaction is to go, (gasps) well, you suck water in. You fill your lungs with water instead of air. You lose natural buoyancy, mm-hmm. and many victims don't come up the first time. Wow. Even if they're good swimmers, Without wearing a life jacket, mm-hmm. they never surfaced the first time. Mm-hmm. So Norris, it's a little easier. You can see 10, 20 feet down into the water. Mm-hmm. Loudon, two feet. You're not going to see where they ended up.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So be aware and... and have your kids wear life jackets if you're operating the boat or in in or near the main channel and you've got other boats buzzing by you. It's a good recommendation. Now, yeah. we all complained as kids when our parents made us wear life jackets, but we are here to tell those stories today.
1: Mm, absolutely, and and
3: that's what we want boaters to be here to tell stories to their grandkids, um, and to teach their grandkids how to boat on the water, but how to be safe about doing
2: it. Do you uh, actually perform rescues? As an auxiliary? The auxiliary
3: performs probably 90% of all rescues that are done by the Coast Guard. They are done by uh, volunteer members using their personal craft. um, And they will go out and do search and rescue. And most of the times it's not in a situation where somebody is called in a Mayday. It's a situation where somebody says, Hey, I'm lost. We don't know where we are. We left from here. So it, Severe situations, the far northwest coast, uh, Washington, that area, they're going to send out their 40-foot lifeboats, which are self-riding boats that can handle that kind of surf, those kinds of conditions. You know, Florida, other coastal areas, they're going to send out auxiliary vessels that are looking just to find somebody that hasn't come back in yet. And then the Coast Guard is there for close support.
1: Um, and there when they know what's, what's happened or what is the condition. Now you talked a moment ago about, um, some of the safety things to be thinking about and some of the things that you can see and touch and feel, but there's also this other thing that's happening that could be, uh, affect you and your judgment and other things that you just don't know is carbon monoxide poisoning, right? Talk carbon carbon
3: monoxide poisoning has become a, a big factor, um, and let's talk about where it occurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say you're swimming, but you're also running your your stereo system on your boat. You've got one of those towers that goes across the top of the boat, one of those arcs, uh, and it's got speakers on it, and you're running that, so you've got your engine running while you're doing that. You've got a swim platform. Everybody's playing around the swim platform. Well, guess where your exhaust manifolds are on the water? Mm. They're under that swim platform. So you've got people that are playing in the water, operating in the water in close proximity to where you're exhausting carbon monoxide fumes, Mm -hmm. and that can be a concern. That can be a dangerous situation. So be aware of that. Keep them further away from the boat. Um, Keep them not just hanging onto the platform and sitting there and breathing in carbon monoxide because it really just kind of – you don't really – You know, you may smell bad exhaust, but you don't really smell a lot of carbon monoxide Mm -hmm. very badly um, until it just incapacitates you. You just are not functioning anymore. Mm -hmm. You lose your ability
1: to function and then you're in trouble. Yeah, and um, the carbon monoxide is a silent killer. I mean, it will put you down. Yeah, houseboats have... and
3: large cruisers that run generators. Mm-hmm. Know where that oh, exhaust yeah. port is. Know to keep, especially in situations where you're rafting up and you've got five or six boats together, mm-hmm. one boathouse is running their generator, and carbon monoxide is just hanging along the surface of the water. See, I
2: always thought mm. of, I thought of closed-in areas for yeah. carbon monoxide. I never thought of being outside swimming and actually suffering from it.
3: And and that has become a real issue, and and it's when there's more pleasure boating and more people that are in the water hanging out around the boat drinking mm-hmm. other things and just having fun,
1: yeah.
3: it's something to be aware of.
1: Yeah. I mean, carbon monoxide and liquor and the other things, that's a bad elixir that, that will cause potential deaths. You just have to be careful and use common sense. That's really what we're talking about here. And would it be a good idea if you had a houseboat to have a carbon monoxide uh You know, detector, yes. I think it would probably be a very good idea.
3: Many of the newer ones have them inside the cabin areas. Mm -hmm. They have those detectors, which are going to sense that because if you've got any kind of uh, deterioration or
1: malfunction,
3: yeah, mm -hmm. little, even a little pinhole, Mm -hmm. or you've got a leak in a little exhaust hose inside your engine compartment that's filling your engine compartment, well, Where all can it seep into the boat from there? Mm -hmm. So that's where you have to be aware of that. Uh, That's a great point. And unlike a car, you know, we talk about ventilation in in engine compartments because, you know, nobody has to ventilate their car before they start their engine because the engine is open to the ground. You've got nothing below the engine. The fumes from the engine and from gasoline will sink and they will flow out and disperse themselves along the ground. Mm -hmm. Guess what? A boat is trying to keep the water out, right? so a boat doesn't have any gaps where gasoline vapors can sink and get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. They're going to fill up that engine compartment, and that's when you have an explosion, and, and those can be highly dangerous.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, say an explosion would be pretty dangerous, Richard. A
3: half a cup of gasoline vaporized yeah. is equivalent to about six sticks of dynamite.
1: Wow, that math isn't even really equating, but it sounds really bad. Um I get it. Yeah, that's so true. And so people that are out there, you know, would it be a good idea to think about a carbon monoxide and how can you avoid it? Yes, it would. And don't think that just because you're in an open air situation that automatically you're not going to be susceptible. Because like you just said, if you're back there on the craft and the craft you know, all that, that stuff has, has got into the engine compartment. Maybe the boat's not running, but it's still seeping, right? I right. mean, it's that's really the key. Oh, the boat's not running well. Or
3: even if you're in the water and you've got exhaust fumes coming, yeah. exhaust fumes are hovering along the surface of the water and going out laterally. They're mm-hmm. not going up and dissipating. They're following right along the surface of the mm-hmm. water. So if you've got eight or nine boats rafted up together and maybe they're tied in a circle with anchors out in front of them, um, yeah, those fumes are contained in that
1: little area. Yeah. Well, we're going to move to the, our closing part of our show today. And one of the uh, tenants that you have really, the theme has been, let's have fun. Let's, let's do that. We're going to want to do and have fun. 90% of people that are out there are there to have fun. The other 10% are usually commercial vessels or doing something professionally. Um, but then talk a little bit about your closing remarks and what, what might be your last kind of statements.
3: I would generally say, you know, have fun. We've talked about that. But be safe, be courteous, and be prepared. Mm -hmm. By be safe, know the waters you're operating in, know what you as a captain are supposed to have on board your vessel, require people to act responsibly aboard your vessel. That doesn't mean they can't have fun. But if it gets out of hand, start reining it in and get them back under control. Be courteous. If you see other boaters out on the water, if you see somebody waving both of their arms and they're trying to get your attention, stop. Ask them. See if you can help in any way. They're not
1: playing charades, folks. Ask if you can help
3: in any way because that is also a requirement of boaters. If you have the ability, without endangering your crew or your uh, vessel, Mm -hmm. you have the responsibility to stop. And then the third is be prepared have first aid kits on board, have a lot of towels on board. If you need to wrap somebody up, if they uh, are in
1: shock or anything, that's awesome. Richard, thank you so much for giving us this information. You don't have to do this, but you do it anyway because you care. And we want to thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. to Mark for putting the show together. Also to Adam, our producer and Monique, our observer today. Thank you guys. We'll see you next time. Right here on the Housing Hour. The
2: hot sun And a big fat one and-